scores! Gilmore scores! With one three left! Off the glass, and left corner to Aguila. Aguila the left circle. Passing the yellow shot. Save made by Aguila. Three bounds, another shot. He scores! The Flames win it! Yeah, baby! Starts now on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Here's Pat Steinberg and Aaron Vickers. Okay, happy Friday. We're underway. It is Friday the 5th of May. Steinberg and Vickers along with you on this hour of the program. Coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcast. Happy Friday, Vix. Oh, and it's a gorgeous one, too, isn't it's it? It's a flyaway Friday for Vix as well, almost. You're uh, Sunday, you're off to Frankfurt and then off to Riga. Riga. Uh, our world championship correspondent off uh, working for NHL.com and more uh, at the world championship coming up in a few days. So that should be fun. Our last day with Vickers until probably June. Sad trombone or celebrations all the way around. Not sure which one it's yet. bittersweet. I'm happy for you, but at the same time, I'll miss you. <laughs> I'm happy for you, but at the same time, I'm happy for me that you're gone. <laughs> no, I'm, I don't like it when you're gone prefer it when you're here. We'll tell you what, my promise, my pledge to you, I will stay in touch. I will be on the show periodically and we'll talk some world championship stuff. And I'm looking forward to that. That should be fun. Um, We are now just over three weeks officially into the offseason because I guess the offseason for the Flames technically started on a Thursday and that was 22 days ago. So... We're just over three weeks in to the offseason for the Calgary Flames, and it has already been one of the most significant offseasons in a long, long, long time. The general manager steps away just days after the season comes to an end, less than a week after the final buzzer goes on the season. Uh, Brad Living steps away the following Monday, and the head coach gets fired two weeks later, which means two huge presences exit the organization in a matter of two weeks, and that means two massive hires to be made. So you've got the exiting of two huge figures. You've got the general manager of nine seasons and one of the most beloved head coaches in franchise history, both leaving the organization. Two huge hires ahead of you. And I've, I've been saying this for months now, going on probably, you know, bordering on a year almost since July and August of last year. I didn't think that we would ever see an offseason quite like the one that we saw last year. That was kind of a once-in-a-lifetime offseason with Gaudreau leaving and Kachuk basically saying, trade me, then the blockbuster trade, then the signing of Huberdeau, then the Cadre signing and the Monaghan deal on the same day, then getting Uyghur signed long-term just before the start of the season. Like That offseason was bonkers, and here we are less than three weeks in, and already two transformational moves have been made in the organization. So it kind of feels like it's trending in being just as significant an offseason as the one we saw calendar year ago. I would argue it's already more because no disrespect to Johnny Goudreau and Matthew Kachuk, but you've lost, whether you choose to lose or whether it was a mutual parting, you lost the guy that defines your vision off the ice and defines it on the ice in not having a general manager and not having a head coach anymore. So you want to talk about franchise altering and you wondered how under any scenario, any circumstance, any dream, how an offseason could be wilder than the one the Calgary Flames had in the summer of 2022, the quote-unquote summer of Brad. And yet here we are. You mentioned it. We're it was the last, we- the last summer of Brad. The last summer <laughs> of Brad. 
<laughs> okay, fair enough. We're only three weeks into this one, and you've already got franchise-altering moves. We're not yeah. even... We're we're just tiptoeing into May. We're not even in at the draft. We're not even through free agency. We're not through August, where last August, usually August is where you can kind of chill and decompress and relax and maybe go to the cabin. That wasn't the case for Brad for living in the final summer of Brad, as you put, because obviously that was pretty hectic in itself as well. But we're five days into May, and... You're going to have a new general manager and a new head coach. Sometime I'm going to ballpark it. This isn't insider information, but at least from a G- GM perspective, you're probably going to want to have somebody in place in the next three weeks or my, so. My guess, is, my guess is that a new GM and a new head coach are both in place before the end of this month. That's just my guess. Um, that, yeah, that falls into G- my three-week-ish GM, timeline. GM in the next couple of weeks, maybe. Uh, that gets you to May 20th. Uh, I believe the they hired Bob Hartley on May 30th, I believe was the date that he was hired. Uh, so I'm kind of thinking late May, maybe into early June is when we get coaching news. But definitely, I, I think month of May is what you're talking about for a new general manager. And it's funny not to go back to me going to Worlds or anything, and I'll bring that up about 19 more times to get it in before the end of the day. But last summer was all about, I spent last summer a little bit of time in Europe too, and last summer was always waking up the next morning and seeing what happened to the Flames. So we're going to fall into that similar scenario, that similar situation again for me anyways, where it's just going to be Flames being the newsmakers. Flames going to be the newsmakers. And this was going to be running parallel to it now as the Stanley Cup playoffs, but there are going to be days where the Calgary Flames and their moves, their personnel changes, their hiring a GM, their hiring a coach is going to be the biggest news in the NHL on that day during the Stanley Cup playoffs. So the Calgary Flames, you're in the spotlight. This is your month. Make hay, make it count. Yep. Um, did you did you see it going like this? And I asked this on the text line as well at 960-960. Like, did you see it going this way as as... Take you back into March when they were kind of touch and go to make it. And we were wondering whether or not they were going to make it. They were finally starting to put some wins together. I think it was late March, early April, whenever they have finally strung together more than two wins or three wins in a row, whatever the, it was. The three wins was December 3rd to 7th, if you were. And then, but then they, they did it again. And then they actually got to four. Did they get to they four? They did get okay, to four. So a season a long four game, game winning streak. And they were able to start, you know, putting a run together. Now it turned out to be too little too late, but. If you go back there, there was plenty of hope that they were going to be able to track down Winnipeg and the Jets were doing everything in their power to keep the door open and they kept the door open a long time. But did you see less than three or just over three weeks into the offseason, both Brad Tree Living and Daryl Sutter walking away? Because and and now that it's all happened, it's tough to 100% accurately remember where your thought process was and what the conversations were. But if I remember correctly... You know, my feeling was, I don't think there's room for both of them. I don't think, I I think there's a good possibility one of the two is not back, but I don't know if I saw both guys being no longer with the Flames organization. I'm going to say I saw it coming a mile away, but that would be a massive, massive lie. And I can't even, you would call me out on it immediately. So I can't go down that road. I don't know where you could have bet this or where you could go back to see if you could find the odds, but Heading into the end of the regular season, I would have thought that the prevailing thought is you're going to get one, but not both, as the predominant odds. The second one is you're going to have both return, which would be a lot less likely. 
And then I think the third scenario of neither of them coming back Mm -hmm. would have been the longest of odds. And yet that's what happened. That's where we are. Bratcher living in the Calgary Flames mutually agreed to part ways. Soon thereafter, the internal audit of Don Maloney and crew opt to decide. They determine that, yes, there needs to be a head coaching change as well. And suddenly, three and a half weeks ago, you go from two to zero. And no, I did not have zero on the old bingo card betting that the Calgary Flames would be looking for two members to fill those spots. New head coach, new GM. Didn't see it coming. Me neither. I I, I thought that there was a strong possibility that um, one was going to no longer be with the organization, but I thought one would stay. And in the end, Bradtree Living walks first, and then the decision to fire Daryl Sutter. And I really wonder, I don't know the answer to this. I don't know if I will ever or we will ever know the answer to this. But I wonder if Daryl Sutter, if, if it goes the direction it went on Monday, like, does it go that way if Brad doesn't walk away? And I ask that because I wonder if Brad walking away was kind of the impetus for them to be like, holy bleep, like that there was there was something up here. Because it's not like it's not like it was not talked about. We were talking about it for months. Fans were talking about it for months. The text line, Twitter, all of it talking about it for months. And there was plenty of rumor and innuendo throughout the season. But it felt like maybe internally and right at the top, it was like, okay, well, yeah, but how much of this is legit? How much of this isn't legit? I just wonder if losing your general manager when you felt like there was a contract on the table for him to extend. And I think the Flames did think there was a contract on the table that he should, I don't know, should have, but could have accepted. I understand why Brad didn't want to accept as well. I, I fully get it that it was time in a lot of ways for both sides to go in different directions. I just wonder if we get to what happened on Monday if Tree doesn't walk away. Well, it certainly didn't make, it made the decision easier. I'll put it that way. But I think just layered throughout the, in talking to Don Maloney, hearing him speak, I think it was layered somewhat equally. I think the players were the number one element. Certainly Bradshaw Living opting to walk away speaks volumes. But I think to a certain degree as well, it's those conversations with agents. Don Maloney said he talked to everybody, players, staff, front office, training staff members, agents. I wonder if the feedback from the agents was just as significant, to be perfectly honest with you, because, and this is hypothetical, I don't know what was said between the president of hockey operations for the Calgary Flames and various agents around the league, but I could see a scenario where an agent goes, yeah, you know what, Calgary's not going to be anywhere near the top of my list for my pending unrestricted free agent to go to because I just keep hearing stuff about Daryl that's not Mm -hmm. constructive for what my player is going to need. So I can see how each element actually factors in, but certainly a guy willing to walk away after nine years and just say, hey, I think it's time, speaks volumes, as opposed to trying to find a way to work everything out. And I don't think Brad stepping away is 100% Daryl. I'm certain there were other elements involved, but when you have a general manager that's willing to go, you know what, I'm going to step away, I'm going to take some time, and I'm going to see what's out there for me, to me, that speaks volumes. Any other, so we have, there's the the two big hirings now, you have the two big bombshells, Tree Walks, Daryl Fired, those are both significant, significant organizational moves. Um, 
And now two massive hires to be made. We'll see how that plays out. Are we expecting anything else? Are we expecting anything else kind of earth-shattering or ground-moving? doesn't have to be 10 on the Richter scale like the Kachuk deal was or as as franchise-altering as Johnny Gaudreau leaving was. But do we see more in that respect? Are we anticipating more significant moves? And this would be, for the first time, talking about player personnel. I will bet you a beer that one of the six pending unrestricted free agents next season gets dealt on or before the draft. And I don't know how earth-shattering that is to, to say. I don't know. I don't know how groundbreaking it is. I mean, I don't even know how bold a prediction that is. You've got six guys that are slated to be unrestricted free agents in the summer of 2024, and the Calgary Flames don't have a whole lot of cap space to deal with right now. Wouldn't surprise me one bit to see one of them. And I'm not, I don't know which one. I don't have a prediction as to whether it's Michael Backlund, Elias Lindholm, Rasmus Anderson, Tyler Toffoli, Chris Tanev, Nikita Zadorov. I don't know who it is, but I can see the scenario where there, and obviously each of those guys has a different, differing degree of earth shattering or groundbreaking. But I can just see the scenario where one of them's moved one for assets that you can either flip later to create cap space. Because quite simply, if one of them tells me, you know what, I'm not interested in signing an extension, I'm going to find out what their trade value is, and I'm going to find out what I can do to replace them, and then I'm going to go about my business. Text line's open at 960-960. This was Elliot Friedman on the latest 32 Thoughts podcast dropped Friday morning. Wherever you get your podcasts and, you know, on the player personnel front, this is the latest as to where Elliot is or what Elliot's hearing. This is on Friday's edition of 32 Thoughts. First of all, I think the Flames are trying to get a handle on, okay, now that they've made the coaching change, what does this mean for some of the players on their roster? The two that really got the most attention because of the way they answered the questions were Backlund and Lindholm. So Backlund, I think it potentially does. But one of the things that I have heard before about him, and I don't know where this stands right now, so I'm going to say that this is something that has been out there in the past, is that Backland really wants to be the captain of the Calgary Flames. Hmm. He's been there for a long time, and I think it's very meaningful for him. And I have also heard that the players on the team know that, they recognize that, and they feel that he would be an excellent choice because he's a guy that I think a lot of those players really think could fit the bill in that role. And as I told you in an earlier podcast, there was definitely a feeling this year that they were missing at least somebody in the captain's role to act as a buffer. So I'm curious to see if with his extension, potentially that becomes part of the conversation. Lindholm, I've just heard it's probably a bit too soon to know. But I think with Lindholm, yes, obviously it was very clear at the end of last year he was unhappy. I just think that this is someone who needed to decompress a little bit. And I just don't know if if a week is enough time for him to, you know, get his head around the way last season went. Elliot Friedman on the latest 32 Thoughts. Just over an hour on Friday's 32 Thoughts with Elliot and Jeff Merrick, wherever you get your podcasts. Interesting there. On the Lindholm front, curious to hear that, you know, it hasn't necessarily 
what happened on Monday hasn't swung the door wide open for him. Well, now I'm staying. So uh, that was kind of interesting to hear. And the Backlund stuff is really interesting as well. And and I, you know, we talked about this going back even while the season was going on and Michael was in the midst of having a career season and doing what he did at the age of what, 34 and 35? Yep. Um, old man. Hey, I mean, you're older than him too, aren't you? We're okay, fair enough. But would you consider doing a two or three year extension with him this summer and giving him the captaincy? And I know that he gave a very non-committal answer exactly three weeks ago today on, on Locker Cleanout Day about what his future is. But I do think part of that anyway was tied to who the coach was. So you go to him and say, Michael, we're ready to name you the captain. Here's a two-year extension. Here's a three-year extension, whatever. I don't know what his appetite is to potentially take a, a hometown discount. I don't know. But at the very least, I think you can open up the conversations and add the captaincy to that conversation. You just hear that from Elliot right now. I, talking to him um, ahead of his 900th game, talking to him on and off the record, I, I believe it's something that would mean the world to him. I know how much getting to number two on the all-times games played list is going to mean to him. I know how much it meant to be number three. I know how much it meant to hit 900. And I just think that would be, I I think it's an interesting conversation to have when it comes to retaining a player who may have more of a desire to stay here now that a certain move has been made. Well, he strikes me as a Calgarian. And we heard what he said three weeks ago. You mentioned locker clean out day. He wants to be in a situation where he can win and he wants to, he wanted at that point to evaluate what was going to happen with the Calgary flames. And some of that probably was what happens with Daryl Sutter. Now he's got a little bit of insight as to what's at least happening with the head coaching position. And he'll get a good glimpse at how the Calgary flames go about their summer. If they roll back largely the same roster, I think it was a good team that underperformed. I think it should have been a playoff team. I don't think there's any question about that. So if he can see something, in that group that makes him think that they can be competitive and he wants to resign. Absolutely. I look at a two or three year deal and without hesitation, I my me personally, I have no problems as the vice president of the Michael Backlund fan club. If you still will have me, I know we had some disagreements you about call that to be center on Thursday or Wednesday. That was, it was just, kind yeah. of hurtful. well, okay. I was looking maybe more historically, Maybe maybe I just needed to frame it a little bit better. But if Michael Backlund comes to the new GM or he comes to Don Maloney, the president of hockey operations, and he says, I'm willing to sign here for two years or three years, whatever the term is, and he has the endorsement from the room, like we heard from Elliot Friedman there in that clip, as the captain, I would certainly, from a front office perspective, love to slap the C on someone. And if that room believes that Michael Backlund's that person, and I personally think that he can be that person mm-hmm. by all means, give him that letter. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm really interested to see how that part plays out. Um, and then there's the, the Lindholm conversation too. And I just going back to the uh, original question I asked, do I, do you see more large player personnel moves? My answer is, yeah, I do. Um, I just, because of the cap situation, because you're going to be talking about a new general manager, because you're talking about, six, seven high-profile guys entering the final years of contracts, it would actually be, I'm not, I'm honestly not trying to, um, 
I'm not trying to suggest blowing up the team or anything like that. I think they can be a very competitive team next year. But I still think there's room for change, and I still think there's room for pragmatism when it comes to the way that you go about your business this summer. So whether it's the last part there from Elliot where he talks about Lindholm still kind of on the fence or hasn't decided or whatever the the term that he used was, um, whether it's him, whether it's one of the D-men like we talked about earlier this week, a, a Hannafin or a Tanev or something like that, I just think you have the opportunity this summer to still be competitive and you have the opportunity this summer to still be in a place next season to bounce back in a big way and live up closer to expectations with this new core group. But you also have the opportunity to change it a little bit and maybe extend your competitive window a little bit more by making one or two pragmatic moves. So yeah, I think that there should be, I think there should be at least another significant move on top of hiring the coach and GM. I think there should probably still be a significant player personnel move and, whether that's moving Lindholm because you feel like you have to or moving one of your D-men because of your cap situation, I think it's something that you you absolutely need to look into and, and should be very ready to do if there's a deal on the table. And just because you make a move with one of those guys, and let's just use Lindholm as the example because, one, he's the highest profile forward amongst the group that is going to be a free agent next summer. Just because you move him now, and even if you move him for futures, if you move him for a pick and a prospect, doesn't mean you can't take those exact same assets and go out and try to replace him at least partially by bringing in another center, whether it be um, adding assets and trying to land a number one center that's under contract or somebody that's maybe a little bit more cost-controlled given the circumstance and trying to remain competitive. Just because you trade Lindholm and, for example, Hannafin, because that's those are some names that we've bandied about a little bit, you can still take those futures assets, which will be significantly valuable at the draft, and go about trying to replace those players so you stay competitive in the meantime. Yeah. Well, and again, I mean, you've got some positions of strength to deal from and that type of thing. So uh, let's read some texts at 96960. Uh, this says, I don't understand why the Flames would extend any UFAs that'll be over 30. This organization's goal shouldn't be trying to sneak in the playoffs and get lucky. This is a perfect time to tear it down and build a true contender for once. This says, it's time to start a rebuild. They'll never win with this core, and they won't win with any of these players getting re-signed. Uh, this says, only re-sign Stetcher, trade Backlund, Tanev, and Markstrom, or Vladar if need be, and go with a youth movement for a fresh start with a new GM and coach. That comes from Dave in Cochran. Um, this says afternoon boys love Lindy and back spot. I expect at minimum one's gone. Any insight on how Zeri is progressing? I still think Zeri's pace is going to have to take another step. Yeah. And I'm not suggesting that it hasn't this year. And it I has just, before it has before. I think it has. I mean, you take a look even from year one, which was stunted in pro hockey last year to year two this year, he's been a productive player um, and he's been good for him. So I don't know if I'm expecting Zary to be a full-time NHLer next season, but I could see him being a guy who might be in recall territory next year. I think Pelche has graduated to being a full-time NHLer. Coronado will see if he can be a full-time NHLer, but um I don't know if I'm ready to say that Zeri can step in and replace one of those guys right away. You know, the forgotten guy that we talk about in all of this is Rizichka. Yeah. 
Well, that's because he didn't play for 40 straight games or whatever it was. And he was just the didn't fifth line center. In, didn't even graduate from the fifth line center for game 82. No, but I understood that. I don't, I, at first I was like, Ooh, that's a slight. And then you just wonder with Milan Luch, like who comes out of the lineup for him. And, and maybe yeah, this is Milan Lucic's last you, game as a flame. Trevor, Trevor Lewis. Lewis to 82, which was really important. To him. Yeah. And, so and fair enough. I don't, I didn't at the time I, I was like, Ooh, that's a slight. And then just as you kind of peel it back a little bit and fair. look at the reasoning, I don't think that's necessarily a indictment on Adam Rzyska, but you're right. He is sort of the forgotten guy in all of this. And part of it is because he was healthy scratch for half a season. Yeah. Um, few else here, a few other texts rather at nine sixty nine sixty. A few else. I don't think that's proper English. A few more. A few um, others. Wedley says, "I dreamt it wasn't over, but I didn't see the GM and the coach gone. The next earth-shattering move will be Pat changes his mind on ranch dressing. No, that's not happening. Like even with wings, like a little dip, or just nothing ever Zero. under any circumstance. Get right away from me. Um, and uh, this reads." Speaking of the draft, are the Flames going to have a GN, GM by then, or will it be Connie doing it? My guess is they will absolutely have a GM by then. In fact, Don Maloney told us on Monday when he sat down with us on, uh, on, on Flames Talk from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Hot Stove Lounge, basically said that, yeah, they want to get it done before the draft. They want to get it done. I, I think before June, the calendar flips from May to June. Um, I think that's probably what you're talking about in terms of a realistic timeline for when a GM gets hired, whether it's Conroy uh, or somebody else. Well, and it makes perfect sense too, because you need to have somebody there for your amateur scouting meetings. Pro meetings are going to happen. That leads right into free agency. The draft and the f- and the free agency are like 72 a, hours apart. So. I don't think you. I don't think you can smartly. Uh, I don't think you can be a smart NHL team and not have a GM. At the draft, and it's not even it's not even just for the actual selection of the no, players. It's the it's trades that are flying at you and what that you're working on with this guy and that. Defining week. It's not just you can put your you can put Todd Button in charge of what player gets drafted next, but it definitely needs to be a situation where you have a general manager in place when Team X phones your table and goes, "We want your third round pick. We're going to offer you up player Y. You you need somebody in place yep. to make that call." Pat and Vickers with us. We're coming at you on this Friday from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Worried about radon? They install custom mitigation systems to reduce your risk. To find out more, visit dlbasementsystems.com for a free estimate. Hey, it's George Russick. And Matty Rose. We host the big show with Russick and Rose. If you miss us weekday mornings on Sportsnet 960 to fan, first of all, shame on you. Second of all, download the podcast on demand. So many places that you can find the podcast wherever you get your favorite. NHL, NFL, CFL, MLB, the stories that sports fans in Calgary want to hear. We got it for you. We are the big show. Talking your team right now. Flames Talk is on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Well, just over uh, 40 years ago, the greatest individual scoring season in Calgary Flames franchise history. Lanny McDonald's 66-goal campaign. He scored that 66-goal on March 29th of 1983. So on the 40-year uh, anniversary, 40-year season anniversary of Lanny hitting 66, 
I knew Wes Gilbertson had been writing this and working on this for months and months and months. The oral history of the greatest goal-scoring season in Flames history. Uh, Wes Gilbertson, Flames Talk fan member and post-media Flames reporter, joins us on the program right now. Uh, hello, Wes. How are you? I'm good, buddy. How are you? Good. How's the, uh, how's the response to the story going? You know, it's been great, and, uh, and it's much appreciated. Um, you know, those who have made their way through it already and, and it's up uh, at the Calgary Herald and Calgary Sun websites know that uh, it takes a little while to read it's probably about six times as long as anything I've ever written um, I think our little tracker on the website says it's like a 30 something minute read so 37 um, 37 yeah so it's uh, it's you know good for a coffee on the weekend or, or maybe for your Friday night pint but uh I've heard awesome things so far, which has meant a lot to me. It was uh, it was a really fun one to work on, and it's been nice to uh, hear that so many people have enjoyed reading it. So over the last number of years, I uh, have been putting together this this date and flames history document, um, and I'm just going to go take a look at where we're at right now. Uh, it is just under a hundred thousand words. The document that I have for this date in Flames history goes by date, and and so this stuff I've I've really fallen in love with. You know, diving in on some of the historic numbers, and you know, some of the things that happened before we were all born in the early '80s, and and you know, Guy Schwinnard in his fifty goal season, or the six assists that he had, or the six assist game that Gary Suter had, and Lanny McDonald's sixty six goal season is. One of the one that one of the ones that stands above them all because it was it was such a huge season and nobody's come close to that in franchise history. So where'd the uh, where'd the idea come from? Like where do you come up with the idea to go? Yeah, let's let's go deep and and put together uh, an all encompassing piece on this. Well, it it sort of started with the same fascination you're talking about. I actually. Um, you know, one of the former teammates that I talked to was Jamie Hislop, and he's a, a scout, and you often see him at the, the Saddle Dome. I actually mentioned to him two years ago that I was going to write this story, and this is how long it took for me to get to it. Obviously, the 40th anniversary made for uh, for nice timing, I think. So, And I don't know when I started I, I had a 25 minute conversation with Lanny and and he told me some incredible stories he has such a sharp memory of that season and and then I just got talking to teammates I talked to Gishwanard I talked to Paul Reinhardt I talked to Doug Risebrow I talked to Kent Nilsson I talked to I think nine of them in total so basically half of that team and and then at that point you know my own file it wasn't quite the hundred thousand words you're talking about but my own file was so long at that point that I sort of had no hit, no choice but to turn it into something a little different than we've done and, and the oral history has been something I've always enjoyed reading I think it's a, a really cool format when it's done properly and uh, I think this one worked it, it just kind of that's the road I, I wound up going down called Lanny a couple more times to you know, pick his brain. Hey, do you remember this part? Or so-and-so mentioned, you know, so-and-so mentioned, for example, that the the factory that made your sticks, he was using coho sticks that season, burned down in the off-season. And, and, oh, yeah, sure, I remember that. He'd tell me a little bit about it. So um, it was fun. It was a really fun one to work on. And uh, as you said, such a special season. Like, 
as I was working on it to see Connor McDavid getting close to 66. And it felt like, it honestly felt like Connor McDavid scored every night this season. So for him to stop at 64, and I'm absolutely not taking anything away from 64 goals in, in this era or any era, but it really puts 66 in perspective. Like you just, you can't have very many nights where you don't find the back of the net or you're not going to get there. So you mean to tell me that this wasn't at all inspired by you scoring your 66 career beer league goal last week? No, I'm not at 66 yet. You probably messed up the math. Well, if anybody listening knows me in math, that's hundred percent valid. So as a writer, fellow writer, I don't necessarily say colleague because that would just be insulting to you, but I typically tap out somewhere around 800 words. So how do you even go about putting together this oral history, this look, which is just slightly a bit longer than 800 words. Yeah, I cashed in at about 9,000 on this one. I just, oh. you know, I, I think you just don't want to leave out any of the good stories or, or any, you know, any of the pieces. Guy Schwinnard was was such a huge piece of it. And, you know, I had teammates telling me, Lanny told me he was the best passer that he ever played with. I had teammates saying, you know, this this guy was one of the most underrated players in NHL history. So suddenly there's a little section on Guy Schwinnard. There's there's a little section on Badger Bob Johnson. And I thought one of the the cool stories that I heard was from Peter Marr talking about, you know, one of the things that Badger brought in, he was, he was really known as an innovator at that point, was that he'd send Lanny over to serve the bench minors. And, and Lanny kind of found it insulting at first. He didn't send star players over to, to serve bench minors. But as time went on, he realized he could get some scoring chances out of that. And he wasn't penalty killing anyway. So, you know, it just suddenly there became all these, these little pieces that I wanted to share. And, and, you know, as a reward for anyone who reads the whole thing, there's a story at the bottom. It's actually, I don't think it's from the 82-83 season, but it's about a prank that Lanny plays on his teammates on, on the airplane one, one time heading from Chicago to L.A. And, and it's one of the, the great Lanny McDonald stories that I've ever heard. So as I heard all these stories and, you know, dug into the scoring race that season with Wayne Gretzky and all that went into it, it just... Yeah, suddenly it was nine thousand words, but I'm I'm not gonna Vixie, I'm not gonna make a habit of that, I promise. I think you should start doing your gamers at nine thousand words. Like I really every night I think you need to go deep into what happened the night before. You know, I can think of a few games this season that would have been tough to get to nine thousand, but uh let me let me ponder it during the summer, buddy. Yeah, okay. Let me ask yeah. you <laughs> Let me ask you, Wes, as you're putting this together, what was your favorite one-liner? And this might be putting you on the spot, but I, in, when I read through it, Kent Nielsen calling Lanny Popeye because of his strength and because of his forearms made me chuckle a little bit. Yeah, I thought that was a great one. Probably my favorite line of all of them was from Doug Risebrow, and he was talking about Lanny's one-timer on the power play, and, and he said, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said something to the effect of, Nowadays, everyone talks about going to the Ovechkin spot, but I see Ovechkin going to Lanny's spot. And I, I just thought that was such a, a cool way to sort of trace it back to what's happening today. Everyone, like everyone knows, even if you, you never saw a game in the 80s, you know the 
Ovechkin spot, right? We all know where he unloads that one-timer on the power play. So uh, that was probably one that, that sticks out for me. The the Popeye line from Kent Nelson was awesome, and, and there were a bunch of doozies in there, but I think the Ovechkin spot reference was probably my favorite. We're chatting with Wes Gilbertson of Post Media, his oral history of Lanny McDonald's 66-goal campaign is uh, out now. Uh, Post Media Papers and the Post Media website, Sun Herald here in Calgary. Uh, it's a really, really, uh, really fun article. The greatest goal-scoring season in Flames history. Text came in, said, uh, amazing article. If it was a book, they would have bought it. Um, and and last thing I'll ask, it's, it's great. Like, y- you think about it. Lanny hit 66, and Lanny had some really good seasons. He's a Hall of Famer, but 66 was a massive outlier for him, too. Like, that was that was by far the greatest season that he had in the NHL, and it just happened to coincide with his first full season in Calgary, and it just makes me think how fun it would have been to be covering that team in the early days and, and at the corral, because at that time uh, they were just starting to move towards moving into the saddle dome. And yeah, it just, it would have been, it would have been cool to cover that team at that time. The, the first year they get here, they go all the way to the NHL's final four. And then a few years later, they've got a 66 goal season from Lanny McDonald. Just would have been a neat time. Oh my God. It, it would have been absolutely awesome. I actually covered a Davis cup tennis event at the corral at the start of my career at uh, what was then sun media. And I, I left there thinking, I feel so ripped off that I didn't get to cover a hockey game in this rink. It would have been absolutely awesome. And as you said, like this was rarefied air at this point, Lanny was only the eighth player in NHL history who had scored over 60 uh, he that year he he scored a hat trick in his last game b- before the All Star break, and the All Star break was a little bit later at that point. But he hit 47 going to the All Star game, and that tied his career high. And doesn't that sort of put in perspective how just how unique of a season that was, even for him? And now we're talking 40 years later, the next highest total by a Calgary Flame is 53, and so this is. Yeah, not just the franchise record, but this is the franchise record by four hat tricks and change. Yeah, what uh, you and I were on the air and doing this show on Monday, which just happened to be a significant day for the organization. How uh, how do you reflect on things now that you've had a little time to digest the firing of uh, of Daryl Sutter? You know, I just think everything we've heard. You know, everything we heard Monday and, and everything we've heard since just sort of has put a spotlight for me on how necessary of a move it was. And, and I know some people have raised the opinion that, you know, this is Flames players have too much power now. And, and I I don't buy into that. I I don't take anything away from what Daryl Sutter has accomplished as a coach or what he's meant to the Flames franchise, but this thing wasn't going to work any longer. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what, as I've reflected and, and had this conversation throughout the week, that's what has become more and more obvious to me is I, I kind of wondered if they'd bring him back, you know, on, on what we call the short leash next season. And, and the more I hear just indicates that just wasn't going to happen. So the Calgary Flames now need a new GM and a new coach. If you rolled it back one month to April 5th, 
How likely was this outcome in your mind, or how rare was this outcome? Because it could have been both are back, one's back, one's gone, both are gone. And to be perfectly honest, I didn't see both being gone a month ago. Yeah, I didn't have that on my on my bingo card either. I, you know, I I was surprised that Brad Trillman elected, um, you know, not to be back just because of the investment that he's put in the team. And you know, I I know Brad is going to be a great GM in another city before long. But I, I I just had a hunch he'd be back with the Flames. Obviously, I was wrong about that, and and so to have gone back a month and be imagining or, or picturing that they now have a need for a GM and a head coach hiring both for the first time since 2000. I, I didn't see it coming. I'll be perfectly honest. Uh, just quickly before we uh, say goodbye to you, Wes, um, I know there's a, a piece out as well. Uh, the post media papers on Tyler Toffoli, who is going to the world championship officially for team Canada. Three Flames players from this year will go for Team Canada to Foley, along with Milan Lucic and Mackenzie Wieger. Matt Coronado going for Team USA. But uh, it was uh, a quote from Toffoli or a comment from Toffoli that really jumped off the page to you. Yeah, especially, you know, with this being a Team Canada that's lacking star power, obviously a lot of their their kind of top targets declined the invitations. And Tyler Toffoli coming off a, a career season obviously 34 goals 73 points i i asked him and this was you know several days ago i asked him well why are you going to go you know what was the appeal and he talked about the timing and i thought this was fascinating he told me if we can go to the gold medal game we'll finish on almost the exact same day that we finished last season in the second round against the oilers and he really thinks that timing and the off-season training that he had put him sort of on the track that he was to have such a great season. And, and so that, that wasn't something that would have crossed my mind to hear Tyler Toffoli say, you know, this almost sets up perfectly for how I want my off season to look. I thought that was really fascinating. Go check out the oral history. Lanny McDonald's 66 goal seasons, uh, post-media websites, post-media papers. Great stuff from Wes Gilbertson, a Flames Talk fam member. I uh, wanted to give that a little pub for you on this Friday as well. Have a good weekend, hey? Yeah, I appreciate this, guys. Thanks a ton. He is Wes Gilbertson. Check him out on Twitter, funny enough, at Wes Gilbertson. And he joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar Guest Hotline to wrap up this hour on Flames Talk uh, using the same secret recipe since 1975. Dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Takeout or deliveries at 403-248-3344.